Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. We have with us today Taylor O'Neill, who is the CEO of Richard's Rainwater, a dripping springs-based uh, water company, water beverage company. I'm sure there's better words for it. Um, and also, a side note, a fellow Demon Deacon, Go Wake Forest. Uh, welcome to <laughs> Go Deeks. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So I'm glad you're on, man. I know there's been a lot going on in, in your space. Um, I want to get to first, those who aren't familiar with the brand, what is Richard's Rainwater? Richard's is the first packaged rainwater company in the United States, uh, established by our founder, Richard Heineken, and his wife, Susie. They were the first people in the United States to get approval for bottling rainwater here in Texas back in 2002. And we're taking that same concept and trying to expand it across the country decentralized collection sites spread out so we can capture the rain using local resources and ship the water the least possible distance from where we capture it to where uh, folks can consume it. Got it. What's that, what's that process like? I mean, I imagine rain collection, I've, I've seen some on residential houses, right? But what, and we're talking about and you know, commercial scale, what does that look like? And look, let's look at the one in, in Austin, around Austin. Yeah. The most important part of the process is actually the natural event of a rain uh, a rainstorm happening. So um, rain forms around a, a tiny dust particle called a nuclei, unless there's anything else in the atmosphere. And then it flushes all of that to the ground naturally. It also cleanses the roof. And so we've established a technology platform that senses when the rain event starts and doesn't start collecting the rain until really mother nature has done her thing in terms of um, cleaning the area in which we're going to bottle and package the, the water. And then from mm -hmm. there, we collect it into a very large cistern. We size the cistern based on the amount of rain we're expecting to have in a given uh, collection site and the amount of production that we want to um, create in the, in the four walls of the facility. And so we basically treat raw rainwater like an ingredient in the supply chain and ensure that when it rains, we collect enough so that we can produce during the periods of time where there might not be rain um, for, you know, for, for however long. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, we've invested in a technology that we call a treatment skid. It's honestly very simple because the raw, raw rainwater is naturally cleaner than other sources of water. So we um, treat it without any waste and without adding any chlorine. From there, it goes directly to the packaging line, and we utilize the, the existing uh, human capital and bottling equipment that our, our partners have to uh, turn it into cans and, and, and glass bottles. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this next question ties into our offline conversation about conservation, but I just how long do you, can you store the water? I mean, so you're or the rainwater, once it's falling, collected, and any production that's needed around it. Is there surplus y'all put away or is it more, I mean, what's that process like? So we capture every drop uh, that we can after the initial cleansing event in the atmosphere and uh, the raw rainwater is clean enough. It can sit in the tank for a long period of time. We size the tanks usually to a uh, five standard deviation drought. So we go back and we look at every rain event that happened uh, at that particular location over the last 10 years. And we figure out how much water we're going to use to package the target production in a given month. And then we ensure that when it rains, the rainy periods, we collect enough so that during any dry period, there's enough raw rainwater in the tank to be able to keep the production as consistent as possible. So mm -hmm. it's a major benefit to the surrounding area in terms of stormwater management. 
the raw rainwater is actually additive to the amount of potable water on the planet. So we're creating more usable water than that same raindrop would produce if it were left to um, generally end up in runoff or a retention pond or wherever the water management um, would take that you know, precipitation without us being there. And then you know, we package it in sustainable packaging. We don't waste any, we don't add any chemicals. So we create a better product that's uh, a lot like solar power for energy only in water. And we're gonna do that in so many different places across the country that we don't have to move something as heavy as water long distances, which cuts down on, cuts down on the emissions. Uh, and it makes for basically a renewable source of drinking water that can support community initiatives in lots of locations across the country. Where, where all do you have facilities? So we know the one in Dripping Springs, but where else are, you, are your facilities located? The original one was in Dripping Springs where uh, Dreamland is now located. We um, have partnered with our friends at Lazy Magnolia Brewery in Kiln, Mississippi. Our next one's going live, um, hopefully here in October, November. We've broken ground on the tanks in a facility in New Orleans. So we're really excited about bringing rainwater harvesting there. Uh, the next one, we've got about five projects we're in various phases on, hopefully one in the Pacific Northwest in Portland. And then we evaluate um, projects really from Houston all the way to Charlotte and in parts of Florida. So obviously, you know, try to target in the early days places where it rains a decent amount and fairly consistently. Mm -hmm. um, and then working with larger and larger manufacturing plants, the amount of water that you collect is actually just a surface area calculation. So this gets a little bit, uh, a little bit numbers numbers heavy in this segment of the spiel. But uh, for every time it rains one inch, you collect about 550 gallons for every 1,000 square feet that we're collecting uh, raw rainwater um, at, at any given location. So you can figure out exactly how much water you're going to get. Um, you just got to know how much square feet you're collecting on. And so the larger the bottler, the generally the larger the facility, which means we can collect more water. Um, and so every facility we're looking at now will be bigger and bigger than the last. We'll collect more and more water and we'll be able to, um, you know, facilitate, um, you know, a much better model than exists today in, mm -hmm. in water. When we think of, uh, you know, I think of is water conservation, especially around what's going on globally, but uh uh, you think of, of Austin, right, in the region or the state. Right? We've been in a kind of a series of droughts, long-term droughts for a number, like over a decade. Um, tying in that with just the the state of this is and this is a national issue of infrastructure, right? Bridges, roads, but pipes as well, all kinds of pipes, which we experienced. Our city of Austin experienced. Um, it seems longer ago, but in the last within the last year, right. And then more recently, I know I knew from your your post on LinkedIn the issue that the issue the the national, the, the emergency going on in Jackson, Mississippi, right? Which can we elaborate on that a little bit? What's going on there? So they, they had um, a uniquely challenging situation. They went from a water boil, um, which we've experienced here in Texas, here in Austin, you know, over the last several years for about a month. And then it rained so much that the pump that was required to get water from the treatment facility to the homes and the businesses that the community, um, you know, the, basically to everyone in Jackson, Mississippi, the pump failed. And so not only was the water not clean enough to drink, there was no water available. Um, and so uh, much like our couple day uh, situation after the winter storm or 
um, some of the other issues we've dealt with here in Austin, but on a scale and a magnitude and a degree of human risk that mm -hmm. was, you know, significantly larger than what we've dealt with. But I think it's um, particularly frustrating, I guess is probably the best word I can think of, to see drought in places like Texas, to learn about farms, you know, that don't have enough water uh, in on the West Coast, um, to, to, to see aquifers and lakes, you know, drying up in certain areas, and then other areas getting so much rain that it's actually causing a very similar outcome for a period of time in terms of access to clean water. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't seem like, um, something that should happen at the same time if we're thinking about water management in a more uh, 21st century kind of way, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think over time, as these issues continue to happen more frequently, as the impact that they cause um, on people's ability to live healthy and also on economic activity in particular areas, um, there's going to be a growing interest in rethinking the way that water is managed and in the infrastructure that's required to ensure that we're taking care of a resource that doesn't get as much credit or, or airtime as carbon and carbon offsets, but in my opinion is actually a bigger near-term issue. Um, not that carbon offsets and, and decarbonization is not, not something we should all be interested in as well, but um, this water stuff, when it happens, is pretty serious and it's happening at, at a real a much 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 larger scale and more frequently today than it's ever happened just here in the united states yeah. i mean clean water and clean air are, are, are parallel <laughs> we need both to survive there yeah and right i mean like we like we and said both for food it. yeah and how we how we think about harvesting rainwater it's it's truly a water cycle like you learn about in elementary school mm -hmm. you know so the cleanliness of an environment is directly proportionate to the cleanliness of the ground, the cleanliness of the water, the cleanliness of the air. Those things all continue to have impacts. And, um, you know, the truth is that in any given geography, the water will never be cleaner than the rain because the ground is contaminated. You know, the, the, the existing standing water is contaminated. And so um, harvesting rain before it has a chance to get dirtier is uh, a much better model than you know, letting it fall and create other implications to the to the environment mm -hmm. that that's um, that we're talking about within it within the industry. And I know Richard was you know, was involved has been involved in uh, you know water distribution in Austin, um, and, and I saw I know in Jackson from what uh, I saw in your post. Has yeah. there been engagement, or at least in the broader industry, um, and particularly you know, maybe your experience with engaging with states and municipalities too? I mean, again, this isn't going to be a panacea for for water issues, but to provide um, you know, supply chain and other ways to get it. Because I mean, the reality is there have been there are cities around Austin that have had to bus in water, uh, bus in water, yeah. right? And so, so go ahead on that. Yeah, I mean, there we've been involved in all different kinds, unfortunately, of situations. So the situation in Jackson was more about getting lots of water to the city from you know from wherever because the the situation lasted you know over a month. It's still ongoing. So. There was an ongoing issue for such a long period of time that distribution and getting getting um, you know alternative solutions to municipal water to the city was uh, an ongoing issue that could be facilitated. Um, I'm sure immediately there was there were challenges with distribution, but you know over time it was really just access to enough 
canned or bottled water to be able to, um, you know, keep people hydrated. In Austin, when we've experienced most of these situations, you know, it's much more common that the biggest issue is speed to being able to react and proximity to the problem. And so we've done a lot in Texas when these things have come um, come up with huge amounts of community support. I mean, during the winter storm, I saw our uh, products getting unloaded by a bulldozer. There was a line of I want to say hundreds of, you know, four by fours of just random community members lining up uh, at a semi truck full of product to be able to distribute it to folks in need. Because much like all or most problems, um, people who are already disadvantaged in whatever way um, are generally more acutely impacted. They have mm -hmm. less ability to get where they need to go. They have less resources to be able to um, access support. And so um, it ends up being, in most cases, a speed and local distribution challenge more so than uh, can we get access to more water? Typically, it's available. It just can't get there quick enough, and it's coming from too long a distance. And then once you get it to a community, it's hard to disperse it to the nursing homes and the foster care centers and the hospitals and you know, the old folks, uh, you know, who, who can't are, are immobile in their home or their apartment. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really a multi-pronged situation when it happens and, um, and you can't go more than three days without water. So mm -hmm. it, it's also just an immediate need where I've seen folks switch from not thinking much about clean water to it being one of the only things that they're mentally engaged in in figuring out how to how to get access to it. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, are there any regulatory challenges or, or hurdles you've seen um, to just implementing this you know, and working, I guess pulling another way, has the industry, have there been opportunities in the industry to work with municipalities or state governments particularly around this? Or are there any hurdles to implementing this on a, you know, currently on a, on a local or state level? There, there are that being rain collection methods. Yeah, yeah, there are. And, and so when we go to a state, almost always, we're the first one proposing uh, raw rainwater as a source for potable water. And so um, I'm sure you know more about this than I ever will in terms of the broad landscape. But in the beginning, it's usually an exercise of you call somebody and they say to talk to somebody else. And then you talk to that person, they say to talk to this person. And then eventually it makes its way back to the first person you called. And there's typically an engagement that is required between uh, the EPA, you know, the local state EPA agency and the local Department of Health agency. Um, and so every state's different. We found them to be more and more welcoming because the benefits of rainwater harvesting are becoming um, more widely understood. Um, in terms of all the, the important things in stormwater management and access to water and um, and water quality, so we found them to be much more receptive and engaged in our in our pitch and our conversation. It probably helps that we've now done it in multiple states as well. So there's precedent and examples that we can cite and other uh, agencies that have adopted it. But from a from a canned water perspective. Um, you know, it just says in the regulations that it has to come from an approved source. Unfortunately, the approved source is not well defined. And so it ends up in this nebulous regulatory conversation where it's not clear who's the ultimate responsible party. It's not clear who needs to sign what or say what or do what in terms of making it um, okay. And 
And then, you know, after the fact, you're still dealing with um, appropriate, in my estimation, regulatory around quality assurance and uh, ongoing testing to ensure that our product or any product, um, you know, in, in our category is safe for people to drink. And we like, we like and, and, and um, welcome those types of oversights, but uh, it can get to this place where, um, you know, they just can't wrap their head around exactly where to put this and what to call it and how to yeah. do it. So we're getting a lot better at how to communicate with them. We've got a hundred plus page uh, regulatory, basically playbook at this point where we diagnose the federal standards and we've got, we've got all the data about, you know, the rainwater that we've collected and the finished goods that we've distributed and um, how, how what we do fits into kind of square peg round hole in many ways, but how it fits into the existing um, regulations that they're comfortable with. And um, again, we found um, most places are at this moment much more interested in welcoming renewable um, thoughtful water management solutions than they are uh, thinking we don't need that here in this area. So mm -hmm. um, that, that's that's a positive. Great. Well, Taylor, um, always good to see you. It's been a while since we caught in person. Look forward to that. Taylor O'Neill is the CEO of Richard, Richard Rainwater. Oh, actually, before we stop, I want to let you uh, highlight any initiatives or programs you have going on in the region or nationally uh, with Richard's. Well, I mean, our big one right now is we're launching this new site in, in New Orleans that'll be the largest potable rainwater harvesting site in the world, and we've got many more coming. Um, we're fortunate. We've, we've also found quite a lot of adoption um, with really uh, important retailers in our space, so you'll be able to see the products at Whole Foods and A2B and Central Market and Kroger and Albertsons and Sprouts and a lot more uh, exciting announcements to come, but we certainly appreciate the the, the Texas community um, being our home state and and um, seen a lot more adoption from the consumers um, recently. So we we thank you very much for that. Excellent. All right. Finally, now Taylor O'Neill is the CEO of Richard's Rainwater and a fellow Demon Deacon. Go Deeks! Thank you for your time, Taylor. Thanks for having me.